When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. Mike Santagata. Did I get that right? Yeah. It's, it's the odds makers take a beating again, but we're happy to have you here, Mike, to talk about the Bengals. Uh, huge divisional game coming up. I think that um, Ravens fans are probably appropriately very fearful about who this Bengals team has become. Yeah. Um... I think before the year, this would be circled at least on the Ravens end as not an easy win. There's no easy wins in the NFL, but it's circled as a uh, they're they're an upstart young team, but they're probably not going to challenge us really. I mean, you look at the past few games, and well, two, the game in Baltimore last year wasn't that close, but there were moments, and then the other game there were no moments. It was a 400 yard rushing day, and Lamar Jackson yeah. sat the fourth quarter. So yeah, that that game, you know, really, really struck me as a as the Bengals kind of gave up in the second half of that game, honestly. And and one of the guys who had been very loud before the game, Jermaine Pratt, uh, was one of the chief uh, guys who had really given up in that game. So kind of unfortunate for Bengals fans, although, hey, it's week 17. Who cares? <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it was it was one of those games. Really appreciate having you on. You're from Locked on Bengals uh, in the Cincinnati area. I want to make sure, mention that. You, where can folks talk football with you on Twitter? Oh, uh, yeah. Find me. Everything I do is pretty much promoted on my Twitter, just Bengals underscore Sands. And uh, you'll find me there and anything I do. 
All right, fantastic. So let's get right to this. Um, want to talk about the the Bengals and their off season moves in particular. Start with the biggest moves, and then we'll talk. We'll move from there to go to the draft and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Who, who the biggest acquisitions in, the, in this? Oh, offseason? start. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, biggest acquisitions. Um, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Chidobe Awuzie. He's having a career year uh, in Cincinnati. Um, this is probably his first time having what I think is good safety help behind him with Jesse Bates and Von Bell too. But in Dallas, I don't think he really got that. I think he was left more on the Island than he should have been. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Having a career year. He just this last week uh, showed really high level play. He was in a cover two and he was sinking with eyes on number two, sinking back vertically because nobody's breaking out. And he makes this fantastic play on the ball, just one hand jumping into the air uh, I mean, it's the Lions, so you think, like, it's it's the Lions. But then the week before, he's shadowing Devontae Adams for a little bit of the game and only gave up, I think, 80 of the yards, and they were tough yards, and he got an interception. So, I mean, against possibly the best receiver in the league, that's something I would take. Uh, for the other uh, uh, for the other guys, Larry Ogunjobi's playing a lot of snaps. He's up and down, but I, th- I like uh, what I've seen from him. He does a good job with his get-off and – disrupting plays that way bj hill in a trade as well uh along the interior so he'll he'll a a, a good player ogan joby killed the ravens and I, I you know we've had browns guys on talking about him before and they say it's the only team he plays well against uh but but ogan joby <laughs> absolutely killed the ravens uh over the years in terms of of being in the backfield a lot and uh, i'm not sure exactly why it was that he was such a tough matchup for the ravens to handle but uh even in the in the game they won at the beginning of last year where the where the browns line really played very well on both sides ogan joby was a was a force in that one despite the fact that it was a one-sided football game the ravens won 38-6 but he's very effective yeah, and I think that week Pro Football Focus had him probably. I think the defensive line or uh, defensive tackle on their weekly All Pro type thing. And I mean, I've watched that, and really, it's similar to what uh, he does when he does well. It's he has a great get off. He's hard to block. Uh, he's strong. Just everything like that. And sometimes he can't time up the snaps as well, and his get off suffers from that. But uh, he plays. And he plays hard. He's a strong force on the interior. Uh, Let's move on to the draft and talk a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, is this, do you have an early read on this draft class other than Jamar? Well, Jamar's the easy one. (laughs) He's doing pretty well. Um, Other than that, Jackson Carmen, he's a second round pick. He, he's had his struggles, but he's never been, in my opinion, I don't think he's had an abysmal game where he's, destroyed the game like single-handedly from the right guard spot and he's moving from left tackle to right guard and he had back surgery in the offseason so a lot of this can make sense you can make sense of it at least uh but this past week he had a great game um got sick <laughs> he puked on the field but he played through really <laughs> yeah oh, man <laughs> <laughs> so he had to be replaced at some point after that but uh before that he was having a really good game um yeah, third. Oh, yeah, I, I just want to mention about Carmen that he was a guy I really loved, uh, and and this was a class with a lot of very short arm tackles, a lot of guys with, you know, low thirty threes and even into the thirty twos on arm lengths, and very few guys who were thirty four and up, 
And, and Carmen was a guy that I really liked as a, as a guy moving to guard uh, that would be one of, one of the best guards in the entire class. I might have had him number two on a list of guards. And my number three guy, I believe, I recall correctly, was Cleveland. So, uh, you know, it's high, high praise, frankly, to have him. Because there were a lot of guys at both tackle and guard who really projected to guard in the NFL. Yeah, and you even think of the top guys where Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater both had those short arms too. Uh, I think Darisaw had good arms, but then after that, I mean, it was like everybody was 33 to 34, but nobody was 34 and up, and that was just that was just crazy to me. Yeah, only the developmental tackles were the only guys who were really long-armed, the Stone Forsyth and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Northern Iowa guy whose name is a spec- uh, Spencer, Spencer Brown. Brown. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. What the, uh, the rest of the game, Cameron Sample, a guy I looked at when he was playing at Tulane, uh, playing on the opposite side from somebody else who was drafted last year, who I'm forgetting right now. <laughs> but uh, Cameron Sample definitely, definitely popped on the tape. He's popping a little bit in the NFL tape, too. Uh, he's rotational and they seem to use him. They like him tight to the line. They don't line him up in like a wide nine technique. He's like a heavy five or whatever you want to call that. Uh, or he's even inside at three technique, but he's done a good job. He's gotten pressure. Um, he looks like a pretty good pick so far. I wouldn't say a slam dunk like Jamar was, but I mean, it's also the fourth round when you're picking cam sample, you're not picking him number five overall. Uh, great, great value. Yeah, uh, fifth round pick was Evan McPherson. There was a debate whether that was a great value because he's a kicker, but <laughs> um, he's got a really strong leg. He hit one from, I think it was 55, and it looked good from about 65. Uh, not even close to the crossbar. Clean, hit the net and everything. And even on the kicks he missed in Green Bay against, there was that wind where Mason Crosby missed almost all his kicks too. They were up there. Like he hit the flag, the wind flag on one of them, which people were saying they've never seen before to hit the wind flag while it's flying. Um, and another one, he, I think it went right over the right crossbar, and it's he's got the leg. It's just mm-hmm. he's got to get used to playing uh, up north. He's from Florida, and before that, I think he's from Alabama. So not as many windy, cold things down there. Has there, has there ever been talk about building Cincinnati a dome stadium? It's just with with Burrow and with a the, the high fly and fast offense, uh, the wind in Cincinnati being what it is. Would you want to Would you want to give Burrow that advantage? Whew. Well, you have to have a debate with uh, Mike Brown about spending money because he doesn't even have an indoor practice facility. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I've I've thought, uh, particularly given Lamar's struggles in the playoffs, that it would be a great investment for for Baltimore. It maybe it's really almost too late because it's it'll be four years before the thing is built if they started today, you know kind of thing. Or if they if they got the approval process started today, but Lamar and Tucker would still have some years left presumably after that, and and could benefit from having a a, a more windless environment to work in. That uh, that'd be good. But I, I would think for for Joe Burrow in particular, um, it's something you really think about with with a young team and a track track meet offense that a dome facility would really help them. I think so too. I think uh, definitely in a vacuum, I'd be wanting to build a dome stadium because you don't want snow to come down and 
ruin the possible day you'd have. Uh, they played the Browns late in the year. I mean, who are you taking <laughs> run game-wise? The Browns, possibly the best in the league. Or I don't think the Bengals' run game is bad, but I don't want to match up against that for 60 minutes of a game. I'd rather be able to throw against them. Mm-hmm. So that all makes sense. Uh, lastly, the seventh-round pick, he got hurt, uh, so he's IR. But sixth-round pick, Chris Evans, got extended playing time this past week and looked really good. He's a backup running back. Um I think he's going to be the second running back now, especially on third downs behind Mixon. Uh, he had a play last week where he, a linebacker lined up over him outside. The Bengals love empty, so you're going to put your running back way outside for easy man zone indicator type thing where mm-hmm. linebacker on you, man, corner zone. Got it. Uh, linebacker lined up over him. He does. He releases outside, but just to make sure he beats him, he takes this hard jab step inside and then flies upfield. He's running a go route. And the linebacker, instant separation, like four yards, instant separation, 25-yard touchdown, one of the easiest throws Burroughs probably had to make this year for a touchdown. Uh, love to see that. And then what I love to see is that he uh, took somebody in pass protection, uh, got a fake handoff, and knocked this guy completely out of the pocket and gave Burrow time to make a 50-yard throw to Jamar Chase. So not only showing up in the stats, but showing up, on film too, doing the things that not every young running back has to do. So that was encouraging to see. That's it's uh, definitely a very big positive. We, we love our blocking running backs and we love more of that. We love our blocking wide receivers in Baltimore. So uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a big deal for us. Uh, key injuries now. Now we know Joseph Asai has not played yet this year. Uh, what's the long-term prognosis for him? Yeah, I kind of skipped over that. He's on IR. He's out for this year. Um, I think it was a meniscus tear and he had it repaired. So that was the issue. He also had an injury, I think, to his arm as well in that game. He, he was having a great preseason game, but preseason, you know, means so much. Uh, but he looks so good. <laughs> and then he comes out and he's got two injuries and he's done for the year. And it's, oh no, but I think you'll be fine. I think the reason you get the meniscus repairment is because you could just get that cleaned up and keep playing. A lot of guys do that. You miss about four weeks five weeks and you can play the rest of the season, but he got it repaired because long-term he wants to be right and not have this come up again or the very small chance that your meniscus tear turns into, I don't know, arthritic type things that ends some guys' careers. Sure. Uh, Another guy, you know, terrific value where he's drafted. I thought uh, I liked him a lot. Uh, Long run cap situation. Let's talk about this because all of the other teams in division, obviously the Steelers are, at the at the beginning of a cap purge right now at the end of Roethlisberger's career. But the Bengals and, and Ravens are about to sign their quarterbacks long term. And obviously, each of them uh, are, are in much more difficult cap situations in the coming years. How is the Bengal? How do the Bengals look? Yeah, like most teams, I think you when you have a guy you think is your franchise quarterback, you kind of design your contracts around that. So a lot of these deals, Chidobe Wuzier, Mike Hilton, all these deals seem to end the year of or the year before that Burrow would get his big extension, or at least the money for that would kick in. That usually mm-hmm. kicks in next year. So it shouldn't hamper them too much right in the immediate future. But I mean, once you sign that quarterback, that's so much cap going to him and you have to start making things work as of now. Uh, I think it's all right. They're going to have to sign Jesse Bates. Hopefully at least they don't let him go. 
and then who, coming who up, the, who are the cornerstone players other than Bates and Burrow? Who who else do you want to see as cornerstone players in Cincinnati? I would say Jamar Chase so far, uh, definitely having a fantastic rookie year. Something with those LSU guys. Justin Jefferson had a similar year last year. Uh, I would look to. It's, they kind of made Joe Mixon a cornerstone, but I think running back shelf life by the end of by the time Burrow's on for his new deal, I don't think he'll be the same, thought of the same, even if he's still with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, T. Higgins had a very good rookie year. I think he's worth looking at like that. Logan Wilson's having a breakout year. That's one you have to look exactly. for going forward. Exactly the two guys I was going to ask about. Logan Wilson had killed the Ravens, obviously, last year. Uh, was very effective uh, w- when he played them. A guy who really would have been a better draft value than Queen for the Ravens. Uh, there is, uh, you, you, you probably aware of just how badly Queen has played this year, but uh, boy, it has not, it has not been pretty. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where Patrick Queen, he's really young and the NFL game moves so fast. Like Logan Wilson, I think is two years older than him. So when you look at it that way, it's, well, there's definitely still hope. I mean, he's such an athlete, so good at the position when he was in college that the NFL game just moves so fast and you have to make these reads, everything going on. Luckily, he doesn't have to play Baltimore, which I think is one of the toughest games for a linebacker, seeing all those guards pulling and trying to keep up with the quarterback. But um, I definitely think there's hope. I, there was a play last week against the Chargers. Um, I watched a little bit of the defense, and a guard came up to block. <laughs> he just knocked him flat down. Uh, didn't do anything super great on the play, like make the tackle, force a fumble. But mm-hmm. it's just one of those things you see, you're like, oh, this guy is he's still oozing talent. It's just he hasn't put it together yet. Yeah, shedding box is really a, a big thing he's got to learn how to do. And they've got him now an on-field handler. Maybe worth talking for just a second about Josh Bynes is back at the Ravens and threatening for the second time in three years to bail out the defense. The 2019 defense, all sorts of problems with Owasso, as the signal caller early in that season, they brought in Josh Bynes. He didn't take over signal calling, but he did kind of automatically take over a field generalship for the front seven where Clark is the signal caller. And and his, his stabilizing role in that in 19 just immediately turned the Ravens defense around. I was very sad, even with the draft picks, that they didn't re-sign him, particularly how cheaply the Bengals got him. I, I, I don't know if you're particularly you know, elated with how he played for the Bengals in 2020, but he's back here and, and his game speed is half a second quicker than, than uh boy, sorry, sorry. than uh, yeah, either by, uh, sorry, either queen or board on a consistent basis. I really liked him in Cincinnati. Um, I thought he definitely had the experienced veteran presence of knowing what's going on. And in a room of guys that were first and second year guys, that's sorely needed. Uh, mm-hmm. And great leadership. You every time he gave a quote, it was always something like, "Man, I want to play with that guy." <laughs> yeah. uh, I really liked him. I was kind of sad to see him go, but at the same time, you need to get Logan Wilson and the young guys these snaps. And you, Josh Bynes probably wants to play too, so it, it makes sense mm-hmm. that he's going to go somewhere with maybe a slightly larger chance of some playing time. And I mean, I'm glad to hear he's playing well for you guys. <laughs> I like him. Yeah. He accepted a practice squad deal with the Ravens, so he, it wasn't immediate or anything, but the, oh. the inside linebacker play was so awful 
that, you know, he's, he's all of a sudden he's on the team and, and he started this last week, played every single base and nickel package. So he's got a job and the other guys have to fit his job around them and is what the situation is now in Baltimore. And I, honestly, it's a big step backward for the draft picks in the 2020 class that this has occurred. So we are where we are. Well, uh, you got the steal of, uh, was it the 2018 draft with Lamar at 32? So <laughs> yeah, getting that's awesome. You, you don't have to feel sorry for us. It's okay. It's, it's the show. Uh, let's go, let's move on to Joe Burrow because obviously he's the, he's the heart and soul of whatever the Bengals success is going to be. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in his game that maybe is different this year and what his strengths and weaknesses are. Well, you think of with young quarterbacks and just young players in specific is that they're going to get by on mostly physical traits type things and they'll get the mental game as they go along. But with Burrow, I mean, you know, beating around the bush, it's all over Twitter that his arm strength isn't like elite. It's I mean, it's fine. I think he's franchise quarterback level, but it's not he if he sees a late dig, he can't Matt Stafford the ball in there if he's late mm-hmm. on it, you know, uh, but what he works around that with is his ability to process really quickly. He does a great job pre-snap. That's why they love him in empty to get easy reads and do stuff off of that. He has full control at the line to make run pass kills or audibles that are in the different plays that weren't even called like the documented wide receiver screen or well, tight end screen. It was a perimeter screen and CJ Uzoma was on the other end. That was just a Burrow cover zero and he audibled into a screen along the perimeter. Um, so, yeah, mental game is really what I see that picks up really quick. And there's still room to grow. He still makes a mistake here and there. He's a young guy, but it's just he's my, he's miles ahead of where you would think a rookie – or not rookie, but second-year quarterback would be at the stage. Yeah, he's played less than 16 games. We can still call him a rookie if you want to in that in that case. And it, the processing speed is very evident. It's it's something that, uh, uh, you know, there's a degree of jealousy, I think, in anybody who has a quarterback who has maybe just a, a tad less processing speed, even though I love Lamar. is Lamar reads leverage like nobody else, but his ability to change plays of the line of scrimmage and do different things, that's not really what he does. He changes plays during the play. So he, yeah. by 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 doing it by by either pulling the ball or not, for example, but uh, but Burrow's certainly a, a great young quarterback. Um, can you take us through the, the current state of the offensive line? That was obviously a problem for the Bengals in the first meeting last year, uh, in terms of not being able to keep uh, keep the Ravens out of the backfield. I didn't mention him, but I feel like I probably should have as a franchise cornerstone. But Jonah Williams looks like a good young left tackle, uh, especially in pass protection. I think PFF charted him with. I think four or so pressures so far in the year. Now I think some of that is Burrow gets the ball out insanely quickly because it's quick, pro- quick processing. But you look at the other guy on the list is Tyron Smith and who's his quarterback, Dak Prescott with his insanely quick processing. So he's a guy I really like. He gains some weight, still struggling a little bit in the run game, especially solo uh, could be long arms, his short arms. We were talking about that earlier. He's I think just at 34. And for some guys that's not long enough, or maybe it's 33 and like, six eighths or well i guess that'd be three quarters <laughs> but uh to me franchise cornerstone left tackle and i think he's solid where he is when you're an offense like the Bengals, that's you want the pass blocking and you can take the run blocking uh, quentin spain next to him journeyman but having a resurgence uh just this past week he's clearing guy he does such a good job with his awareness and older players so this makes sense but his awareness to see something's going wrong and I'm not covered or I'm not blocking anybody in pass protection. Let me go pick that guy up. Let me find work. 
He's yes. always trying to do stuff like that. And he's heck of a finisher too. Uh, he'll drive guys into the ground. Um, next to him is Trey Hopkins. And if you remember last year, week 17, Trey Hopkins tore his ACL and he was out there week one for the Bengals, but who it feels like maybe he came back early because he doesn't look the same, just a little bit less power. He was never that powerful in the first place. So it, it, it shows when he's trying to sustain and trying to uh, anchor in against bull rushes. Uh, and he's a little slower off the ball, it seems. And all of this just contributes into him having a poor year. Uh, still, I think in my opinion has the mind that you need at center and really you just keep hoping that he's going to get everything else back uh, as time goes on. Two, two things come to mind in what you said about guard and center here in Quentin Spain. Of course, we've known with Buffalo and he's been around the league, but uh, have the other teams been running games in that left a gap or the left B gap for that matter to try and get to Burrow? Yeah, the, plenty. But the thing is that the, only two guys that can consistently pass off these games are Jonah Williams and Quentin Spain. The uh, other side of the line is really where you probably want to run those. Uh, even if Riley reef is a veteran, the guy next to him's a rookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, easily susceptible to that stuff. And that sometimes, sometimes it even works on the left side. There's a play with Khalil Mack and uh, Robert Quinn, I think is uh, yeah. Robert Quinn they ran a game that was successful along the left side and they try to get, you try to get through the a gap, but especially in empty, what it seems like they're trying to do is really just gum all that up uh, when they need to, like we're going to full slide. We'll just full slide it. And I think this might be a reaction to what Baltimore did to them where look, even if four guys come, at least it'll be the end. It won't be somebody down the middle, which is mm-hmm. the worst type of pressure. So so, so you can they, run, they've yeah. shown a good ability to react to double a gap uh, look to be, to be able to say, we know how to, we know how to attack that and gum that up <laughs> on and off. Uh, I mentioned that just as I mentioned the full slide, that was something used last week, but I mean, there still are moments where they get in double a gap and Mixon is maybe they move the back up right over a linebacker. So backs probably taking that linebacker and a sniffer. Gonna, I think to me, now this could be different. A sniffer to me is when the tight end is off the line and just like either lined up perfectly with the tackle or just inside him. Where I think of this is just, I don't know what to call it. (laughs) I haven't heard the name, but it's just motioning, moving your back up into the line so the linebacker doesn't get a full head of steam before they take him on. Uh, Let him take him off the line. I don't want to go back too far historically, but the, the terrible play and the great play, no doubt, from from the Bengals history where Boyd got the 49-yard touchdown on fourth and fourth and 12, I guess it was. Uh, that that had um, one of the key things was Dalton moved um, 25. Gio? Uh, yeah, Gio. Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, up, up uh, right over guard to be what I thought was called a sniffer position. And to, to uh, more quickly deal with things. And, and the, the Ravens tried to run an off defense that didn't use at all, trying to invert Weddle, was basically going to have to come down and cover Bernard, who would have been a hell of a tough out anyway. If you throw eight yards to Giovanni Bernard and then ask Weddle to make that tackle or six yards, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really tough ask of, of Weddle anyway. Um, but anyway, rather than give up the, the first down, they gave up the touchdown, of course, and, and, uh, and that was that. 
So, uh, yeah, it felt like a play that sprung Tyler Boyd's career because before that, I mean, he was like a 400-yard guy, and then that play happens the next year. He's a thousand yards. It's like he got the confidence. Yeah, one of the best slot receivers in the league, certainly. So that uh, uh, that was that was good. Take us. I'm sorry, I interrupted you on the offensive line. Uh, let's <laughs> let's continue there. That's okay. I'll always go down that memory lane. <laughs> um, right guard. Uh, right now, Jackson Carmen should be expected, even if he was sick last week. I'm sure he's fine now. It sounds like it might have been food poisoning. Which funny story with that is that he sent out a tweet that was, "Anybody have any good restaurants in Detroit?" <laughs> <laughs> after after he threw up. No, it was before before he okay. threw up. So somebody put it together. <laughs> it was like he asked for good restaurant recommendations, and the next thing he's throwing up on the field. <laughs> Where was it that you ate? You know, <laughs> that's that's classic. Somebody's got to somebody's got to put that two together. Did somebody somebody had the picture of him throwing up yeah. and next to him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of memes, but that's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, he's. He had a great game this past week, in my opinion. He had a, a nice pancake on wide zone, and I'm sure we'll get into that later that the Bengals like using that play, but uh, he took the guy, threw him into the ground, and it's, that's what you want to see from – because when I watched him in college, the thing that stood out to me was just when he throws his hands, how much power those things had. They were mm-hmm. – I mean, like, I don't know what to call them, like uh, Hulk strikes, like the Hulk gloves. <laughs> it's like he had those on where he hit a guy, they're moving a gap. It's – uncanny is his punch power um and that was one of the first moments i saw where it's like oh he really got that guy and then just finished him into the ground so it's kind of coming together but you move a left tackle to right guard there's things that happen is is that wide zone scheme giving him more opportunities to get to the body than he might normally have versus a defensive tackle who's thinking or defensive end for that matter who's thinking one arm's longer than two when he's going at him straight up I think when he gets to be able to be set up by somebody that helps, mm-hmm. I think sometimes – now, they're not going to long-arm him really for, in a wide zone scheme. At least I don't. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be an impressive play <laughs> to be able to get some guys moving like that. But uh, it helps, but I think what really, what really helps is when he can get it set up, and whether that's through motion or from Riley Reef or Trey Hopkins giving the little stiff arm – combo type thing uh to set him up and then he's able to come in and just use his athleticism power to drive a guy so it helps and then there's moments where he's asked to solo block a a two technique right over top of him or a really really tight three and i mean that guy can no full head of steam he can probably get into his chest that's been an issue and carmen's been missing his hand placement young young offensive linemen they miss their hand placement it seems often and he's doing that and they end up on the outside. So it does, and it doesn't help <laughs> like most things. Right. Like, well, let's um, we need to keep, we need to keep the show moving a little bit. I apologize for, for, for pushing you on here, but Riley reef at right tackle, any new things about him where he is? Is he career wise? No, he's the same guy. He kind of was in Minnesota solid, but uh, not somebody that I think defensive coordinators are, scared to face even about sending their best edge rusher over him. But at the same time for the Bengals, it's this guy's not a liability. He's not going to sprint downfield and knock out a linebacker and lead the way that way, but he'll do a pretty good job with his body positioning. And he's a veteran that has seen a lot and doesn't make any mental mistakes. All right.
right. Outstanding stuff. I feel everybody's interested in hearing about the Bengals wide receivers, perennial strength of the team. Tell us about them. So starting with Jamar Chase, uh, I assume I would call him probably the uh, X of their team, but that's really fluid with the NFL. Now those guys move all over. Uh, His best stuff is deep. Uh, Anything deep. He can change his speeds. He has that third gear that sometimes people talk about where they're side by side and the ball's in the air and he just starts going faster. (laughs) It's like as a corner, what are you supposed to do where the guy just speeds past and he's got an extra gear that you don't have. He's got that in him and Burrow, I mean, has the chemistry and knowledge that this is in him because he'll put up the ball when the cornerback is ahead of him or when they're even, he'll still put it up there and he knows my guy's got it. Uh, It's not really a contested catch when you can make that late separation. Uh, Great job tracking the ball, things like that. He's got surprisingly good. And I mean, I thought, I thought this in college was yards after catch ability. Sorry about that. Um, I apologize for the, for the technical <laughs> difficulty there. It was a, part of this was at least was me being muted on the thing. So, uh, which, by the way, if you've listened to this show, you, you hear that happening from time to time. Joe Burrow. The question was: Joe Burrow um, does he outthrow the defensive back as a r- routine practice in terms of completing passes to the to uh, his own wide receivers, knowing full well that they have that extra gear to run under them. Yeah, I would say specifically with Chase, I mean, it's happened often. Uh, when they see him singled up and the cornerback is in press and whether or not they're going to try to press man jam him or they're going to try to press bail, once he sees that, that's his first read. And especially if it's bail where they've got their butt to the sideline and trying to scoot back that way, he's putting it up there and lets his guy run underneath it. Uh, just something nice to see uh, with the two of them, really, uh, the late separation and the chemistry from Burrow to know that's there, to put balls up when even the cornerback has great position. He just knows his guy's going to go get it. So it helps uh, <laughs> helps create explosive plays when you have a wide receiver that can do things like that. And like I mentioned, his yards after catchability is kind of surprising, but I thought I saw that in college too, where his legs are just so strong. He's just such a he's built like a running back. Mm-hmm. And he can just run through contact. So when defenders, especially cornerbacks who don't love to tackle, that's not Baltimore with Marlon Humphrey or Jimmy Smith. But when you get cornerbacks that don't like to tackle, he'll run right through that tackle. Uh, you really have to actually make a good tackle against him. He's not the type to go down on first contact, any of that. He'll try to run through it. Pro- thinks every play is probably going to be a touchdown. <laughs> okay. Like a little uh, AJ Brownness after the catch in terms of that. So a little bit, a little bit. I think AJ is, whew, he's really, really good at that. So you, you take us to the other receivers you can. T. Higgins, obviously a guy I really loved, uh, but uh, where is he now developmentally with Chase coming along? Yeah, uh, you think he's taking the you think he's taking the next step. Maybe he would have been the guy to have this big breakout year two. He's he got injured. Early in the year, he looked like there was an extra thing to his game. He improved his route running. He was running the blaze out, which is, you know, post and then out, a hard cut. He ran that twice against Minnesota, and then I saw it again this uh, against Green Bay. But overall, it's just the connect. he's had a few drops. He's had the injury. He's had things like that, and 
Jamar Chase is a downfield threat, so he's making all the explosive plays to move the offense, where T. Higgins is more intermediate, and he's their guy on isolation routes, mm-hmm. which I just talked about. Blaze out wasn't is one of those isolation routes, but when they want anything to – we're singling up our guy against this guy, and we're going to let him route run or try to catch the ball over him for the first down. That's, that's usually T. Higgins. Uh, long, strong uh, – has good hands, even if he made a, he had a few drops this year. I think his, he catches the ball away from his body really well. Uh, but you haven't seen just enough. I guess it could be the volume, but he's getting some targets. He's just not him and Jamar get about the same targets, but Jamar's downfield, so the volume stats don't carry with it. I think he's as good or better than last year, but the stats I don't know if they've shown that. But I mean, the film to me says more. Uh, with Tyler Boyd, you have one of the best slot receivers in the league. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, so quick change of direction. They love using the Hosswide juke play with him, with him on the juke route where he can sit if he wants uh, or leverage from the, from the linebackers or whoever's covering him. He can run away, and he really just sauces on those to me. <laughs> He'll sit, look outside, run inside, things like that. And he, when linebackers match up, it puts him in all sorts of fits. Uh, they don't like to move. They don't like to try to cover a guy that can move like that. I don't think. And great hands with him. Reliable. He's the guy on third downs. I'd look for, especially third and medium third and short. If they're going to throw the ball is look, I'd look Tyler Boyd's way, at least pre-snap. I'd look there and see like, how's he being covered? And if it's one-on-one, especially with a linebacker, I'm definitely going to probably throw this ball over there and get him on some type of, just talk about isolation routes with T it's kind of an isolation route to run the juke and let him do whatever he wants. So quick change of direction, still a solid receiver. It's just volumes not there with the pecking order now being these young guys coming up in the league. So talent still there volume, whatever he's still making first downs. He's still doing his thing. Uh, not somebody you can forget about. All right. Have a tight end position. CJ Uzoma had the, Achilles tear last year, which to me was fearful that he's mostly known for athleticism and was the Achilles tear do it kind of saps that away, but he's looked the same modern medicine kind of making the Achilles tear. Uh, if you can do the rehab and you have the genetics for it, you could recover from this and be just as good athletically as you used to be because he's still fast. He's so strong. He's well, I guess it would take away from his strength as much, but, uh, Looks good, uh, but he's not a guy that you have to be fearful of a safety matching up with, like a Mark Andrews, where if Von Bell matches up with Mark Andrews, I have a little bit of a, oh boy, <laughs> this might not go well. Whereas if Chuck Clark is going to match up with CJ Uzoma, I would think the Ravens think like, okay, that shouldn't be at least a downfield issue. Maybe he misses a tackle and it becomes an issue, but he should be able to keep him in front of him. But good hands. Uh, like all of them, I think they all have pretty good hands, uh, athletic and he's a guy, it felt like the Jaguars didn't care to cover and he ended up going for two touchdowns. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta factor in all these guys. They go empty for a reason. They want all these guys in space and one-on-one and you able to utilize their talent. So they, they all have talent, uh, even the tight end.
All right. Well, yeah, certainly lots of weapons to go to. Now, Joe Mixon still around. Uh, what kind of snap percentage is he getting this year? I know that was his workload was a issue in past years. Yeah, it's up. It's not 90 percent, but I would say probably around 70, 75, depending on the game. Okay, so less this year. In terms of what you're seeing from his run or anything different this year? No, same guy. Really good vision and pre-line of scrimmage, pre-cut ability, and pretty good after that. But really where he shines is making guys miss in the backfield before he even makes the cut or right after. So he's similar guy, strong, and utilized about the same, uh, especially running the ball. He gets a little bit more receiving work. All right, let's talk scheme a little bit. Um, one thing I always like to know is, do they run? We like to run out of 21, 11, or 12 most of the time. It, it's, it always seemed to me in the past the Bengals were a very strong 11 team. You talking about spread a little bit makes me wonder if they really play some 10 this year. No, it's all it's almost all 11 still. Uh, when they really want to get heavy, they'll come 12, 13. They don't even have what I would consider a fullback on the roster. They just move Uzoma back there if they want to get an eye formation. So it's mostly 11 personnel. They get an empty from 11. Okay. Empty, empty from 11. And, and you said the running back usually on the edge of such formations when they, when they do run a, a 11 spread. Yeah. On and off though, because sometimes they'll attach the running back and tight end to the line so they can give chip help. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times when they go three by two spread or even four by one, He's not going to be the one in that situation, but he's all the way outside for the man zone indication. So uh, sure. why you want to get into empty with a running back is who matches up over him and make things easy. Yeah. All right. Great stuff. Um, the Ravens obviously have very significant weaknesses at inside linebacker in these first six games. How would you expect the, the Bengals to attack that? Well, it's going to depend on what the Ravens do. It felt like defensively they weren't, at least against the Chargers, didn't run as much cover zero man as I had previously seen with Wink Martindale, which still means they run it, but it's not uh, <laughs> nearly every third down. Um, what I I would think to attack it is if they are going to play too high, use the Hosswide juke with Tyler Boyd and let him try to run away from one of those linebackers and if they're not play, if they're playing one high, then you're going to want to use uh, halfbacks and tight ends to try to. I would still use the passing game. I would just use the passing game and try to isolate those guys in space. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely been a case where uh, a lot of screen yardage has been given up. Uh, I kind of hoping Josh Vines turns that around because of huge recognition issues, but more more seriously, um, enormous. I, I, I dare I say a um, lack of confidence about contact from Patrick Queen has been a real concern that he just he doesn't look like he wants to make tackles. And it's kind of a basic characteristic of, a, of an inside linebacker you need. I, it, last year, it was all about what he didn't do as a pass coverage guy. This year, it's it's much more about, you know, he, he, he was a bad tackler last year and he's a bad tackler this year, but he's even worse. And it's it's the tackles he's not involved in that he's not sticking his head in the pile that are even more concerning because those aren't showing up on the stat sheet, but, but they're still quite bad. So I, 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 I'm, I'm fearful that the, the Bengals have a big day with, uh, with yards after the catch from all receivers, but, but from the backfield in particular. And they'll run uh, throwback screens and stuff to the running back or the tight end. So it is something that he's going to have to get, in, uh, get 
through the screen block and try to make a play on Joe Mixon or CJ Zoma, who are both pretty strong guys, and they'll invite the contact. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Okay, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, the, the most important question is always, how do the Bengals line up in, in pass defense? On third third down, these high leverage plays, third and five plus, let's say, what are they looking to show you uh, if you're in kind of a standard 11 personnel look, which is what the Ravens will pretty much always be in on those kind of downs? Yeah, they'll. it varies a bit, but for my money, I think I would bet if it was just any one third down and I was going to try to guess before they did anything, I would be looking for, I think, too high pre-snap and whether they're going to roll down into, I mean, short, short yard is going to be man coverage because third and short, that's man coverage most of the time, but they'll try to roll Jesse Bates down into a robber sometimes, sometimes let him play deep and try to jump things. Um, and some, they've dabbled a little bit more in the split safety stuff quarter, uh, quarters and cover two, which they use against the Ravens, but they don't, it was about 70% single high last year. And this season it's been much more around 50, 50. So third and medium, third and long, they'll play some cover two, let it go in front of them. And, this year, Lou Anarumo has really started the pressure designs to just run straight at him with cover zero or sometimes man-free cover one with five rushing. Uh, doesn't mind sending the heat, and some of that is having Mike Hilton now, and some of it is, uh, hey, Von Bell's good at that too. So so don't a slot corner or a safety, either one, a fair amount of blitzing there. Do they usually drop somebody? Uh, do they drop an edge rusher to, to short zone when they do that? Sometimes, but I wouldn't say usually. I would say most of the time when those guys come, it seems like they're sending at least five, which sometimes you still drop a guy for a fire zone, but Mm -hmm. uh, usually they're sending six and saying, we're going to get home. And Mm -hmm. if you get this ball out, you're probably getting hit. And if you don't, uh, it's going to be a sack. Right. Okay. Uh, let's talk some, take some time talking about the front five in particular and how they rotate them. I mean, I want you to go across the front five and tell us, you know, who, who those are. Actually, front five, they play a 4-3, not a 3-4, right? Well, they actually play a 3-4 most of the time, but I would expect against the Ravens they're going to play the 4-3 because every year since Lou Anarumo's been here, he's 3-4 base, 4-2 nickel, but uh, – Against the Ravens, he likes to get 4-3 and try to get his safeties into the fit and try to have as many guys as possible flowing and not on the line, probably to counteract some of the uh, option stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I'm really most interested in hearing, and particularly for 4-3 teams, is that I think they tend to overplay their interior guys. They can overplay their edge guys too, but they they tend to play not as rotationally as a team like the Ravens almost demands you do because of the the probability that you're going to have a lot of defensive snaps and a lot of run snaps that they're going to expose you to over the course of a game. Yeah, uh, they've been doing a good job rotation, uh, rotation-wise, especially on the interior, just because they have guys now. They have four guy, four deep, and they'll ro- any of them can play nose, any of them can play three-tech. Even Reader can play three-tech. He drops some weight. Um but they'll, they'll rotate those guys, and I would think the snaps will be even lower in the 4-3 because those guys aren't going to be playing mm-hmm. five technique, seven, anywhere outside of the tackle. So I would expect, based down, Reader's probably going to be the nose, and 
we haven't seen uh, whether it'll be BJ Hill or Larry Ogajobi, but one of those two will be the three tech opposite him. It'll be a heavy rotation right. where I don't think either one will even hit. I don't even know if they'll hit 50% because they'll be rota- rotating in Josh Tupo and uh, Cam Sample will play some snaps there as well. Take, I think you took us through some of the players there. Let's let's hear all of them in terms of, of who's on the defensive line. Uh, Geno Atkins situation? He is a free agent. He is currently not signed, right? Yeah, not signed anywhere. Uh, he's had some looks, but nobody's signed him. Mm-hmm. Last uh, year, his, his uh, how did he play? Last year, he hardly played. Uh, so that's it, it felt like he was a free agent last year for the most part, although he had a pressure against Baltimore specifically, so I remember that. And they played about one tech on rush on pass rushdowns, which is a weird spot for him, but he if he gets a hold of a center, he's still got the good – low center of gravity and strength to bully him if he gets singled up one-on-one. Uh, but okay. yeah, he's gone. Kind of feels Dunlap's like gone. an early, kind of feels like an early end to a great career there. If he's, if he's really done now. Yeah. All decade, everything. Uh, I mean, he was the pros pro <laughs> and then it's, he falls out of favor in Cincinnati and it was injury. It seemed like here he's trying to play through an injury, but never fully got healthy. And then, I don't know if that's been why nobody has signed him, but it seems like he makes visits, but he's one of those guys they don't sign. I still think he has juice and can be used, especially as a pass rush rotational piece. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, there's there's some team out there that I would think needs a player like that down the stretch, so maybe he still gets signed. But this is a weird year, you know, with, with the COVID cap. Nobody has cap to spend. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Ravens have been not even keeping 53 on the roster because they, they, they can pay the player less on the practice squad. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, this is, this is how ridiculous it's gotten. And they only have a couple million of total cap, which would let them bring in, you know, a couple of guys, but they, they, you know, they, they can't waste these last few precious dollars of cap they have. It's that tight now this year. So uh, a lot of teams going through this, but the teams with injuries in particular who have to pay those IR guys, it's a, it's a much tougher stretch for them with the COVID cap. Yeah, nobody, uh, I don't think anybody's more injured than the Ravens. So <laughs> it's really tough on that. Uh, Bengals actually have some cap space. They always keep cap space. Even in the COVID cap year, they have enough space to, if they wanted to sign Whitney Merciless just signed with the Packers, but if they wanted to sign him, then they, they could have. It's, it's interesting because this is an awesome opportunity to use some cap to effectively buy some draft picks. So you can, if you want to trade for another team's player and you know, it, it, a couple of things can happen. You can, you can accept a player they don't want under contract for the rest of the year, give them, you know, 4 million of cap on, on some guy who is in the last year of his deal that they, that they really don't want to have around anymore. And, you know, you might be able to get a third round draft pick for that. If you, if you, <laughs> if you're willing to bail out another team, it's probably not a third, probably a fourth, but still something, something good. And I, I would, I would wonder, has Mike Brown done many of those kind of deals? I know Cleveland had a famous one a few years ago where they, where they basically traded about 14 million a cap for a second round pick. No. And the Mike Brown and the G uh, acting GM Duke Tobin, they kind of don't love trades, especially uh, trading p- draft uh, players for draft picks or things like that. I know. I think they might be into that idea. I'm not sure if they would explore it. Uh, they never have uh, done anything like that. That's like the NBA always does things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, the only one I really remember is just that 
trade for Brock Osweiler where they took on the cap space and (laughs) got the draft pick. Uh, Bengals traded uh, Billy Price for BJ Hill in a draft pick, but I don't think that was a cap thing. I think that was the Giants needed help. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the uh, Billy Price kind of worn out his welcome, I guess, in Cincinnati after after not really panning out as a number one. Yeah, always was a good locker room guy, and he was the first guy to give somebody high five on the sideline. But he uh, is those really really short arms. I think they were near thirty one, mm-hmm. so that really he just had such an issue with that, and especially at guard when he could get one on one with a guy with long arms that just always struggled and never found his calling in Cincinnati, but good guy. I hope he does well somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ravens have some now a fair number of short armed interior linemen and, and they're really having to try to fit them in and figure out what they do. But one of them is Patrick McCary and he's now playing right tackle. I'm amazed, but he's been playing very well for, for the Ravens these last few weeks. So, uh, so we'll see how that works out. Um, take us through the linebackers again. We're always interested in hearing about Logan Wilson, but, but the, the off ball linebackers now I'm talking about. Uh, so Trey Hendrickson, big signing for, especially for the Bengals. So signing a guy that high profile and big contract, uh, having a good year. I would be surprised if he doesn't hit double digit sacks and he's been a, the only really consistent pressure piece on the defensive line or well on the front, especially when they only send four. On the other side, Sam Hubbard got his deal. He's not a pass rush guy. He's a run stopper. And this is the game where Sam Hubbard is supposed to make his money because I think he's really good at that surf technique stuff where he's going to unblock, but he stays. He's not going to squeeze down too far. He's not going to pop out too far. He's going to force a tough read. And then if Lamar keeps it, he'll make a play. Um, yeah, they they have they don't they don't use the outside run read out of the pistol very much anymore. So Hubbard would have to uh, be the guy, and they haven't you know honestly no teams really found the answer for this yet. But Lamar runs up the middle now more than anything else. I don't know if, if opposing teams really know this. He doesn't really run to the outside anymore. Uh, they have a they have a they run out of side card even with their slower set of backs. You know they're they're doing a forward facing mesh point instead of a side facing mesh point. And they also usually mix in jet motion or a counter or something that'll that'll create additional obfuscation of where they're headed. But Lamar running right up the middle has been where he's been really effective uh, since really the beginning of 2020. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of that power read and all that gap pooling guys and reading at the same time where the back is the one that's going outside, but Lamar's the uh, inside threat. Uh, tough to stop. <laughs> <laughs> So, so but, but Hubbard has been a Raven killer of the past, of course, in, in a lot of different ways. But uh, I, I don't really remember that being a read thing as much. But but uh, I, I'm interested to hear your thing. And now I'll be looking for it. So that's why I love these shows is, you know, get a different perspective on the, the personnel for the opponents. Let's go through the linebackers a little bit. Uh, sorry, not the linebackers, the secondary a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to do the off-ball guys, Logan Wilson? Sure. We didn't talk about Logan Wilson yet. Yep. Yeah. Logan Wilson, uh, just ball magnet is the first thing that comes to my mind because this this past week didn't even make a great coverage play, but he just rips the ball out of the guy's hands after he catches it, and it's still within the time of it being an interception, not a fumble because his butt was on the ground, so needed that. <laughs> um, does it? And this is how he's got his interception off Lamar where he's – looks like he's rushing. He, if he's occupied, he seems to just drop off and try to get into a passing window. Does a great job reading eyes of the quarterback to get there. And if he's uncovered, he's, he's rushing because nobody's blocking him and quick pressure. 
But that's a interesting wrinkle that I think is specifically used with him because of his ability to read quarterbacks' eyes. And then the other two, Jermaine Pratt, uh, not loved in Baltimore, I assume, from his comments, but he's having a pretty good year. Uh, for the first time, he struggled his first two years, but I think some of it's DJ Reader doing such a good job taking on two guys most of the time to keep his linebackers clean. But when he's able to just see the ball, read the ball, and make those plays, he can do that. And the other area that shines with him, he's an athletic guy. And when they use robot technique where they're going to fit the run and then see his play action, turn around and sprint and find that first crosser. He saved two touchdowns so far. He ran stride for stride with chase Claypool on one of those plays, which impressive. Uh, Akeem Davis Gaither is the athletic specimen, but he's pretty small. So they don't love him in their three, four base, but I assume he's going to get a lot of snaps if they're going to play their four, three base in this game uh fast i wish he had hands uh it seems like he dropped so many interceptions and his dad is a wide receiver coach which really sticks out to me as the, well, why isn't he on the jugs machine more <laughs> you probably have one at home um so, so the uh pratt pratt will be playing the will in in a in a three four if that is and and uh logan wilson the mic or the other way around yeah uh pratt will be will logan wilson at the mic uh, outstanding stuff. Let's move to the secondary now. And I apologize on the time limit here. We're, we're, uh, we're trying to get through this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's me. I'm long winded. Uh, Shinobi Awuzie having a career year. I mentioned that he does, he's done a fantastic job, man and zone doing everything. Uh, even being in a press position, he does a pretty good job, which I thought was a concern with his lack of, he didn't seem very long or very big. So I didn't think he'd be able to bully guys that much, but when he's in cover two and he's just, hitting a guy rerouting and trying to play the out of number two or sink vertical. He does a good job in there. On the other side, Trey Waynes is injured again. He's played two games in his Bengals career so far. Uh, it's going to probably be Eli Apple on the outside, which is not a name that will strike fear in many people. And he struggled early, but he's had some pretty good games the past couple of weeks. Uh, Jacksonville seemed like a turnaround game for him. He broke up a deep ball to Chenault. And overall, just played good coverage. Uh, in the nickels, Mike Hilton, very familiar. Great blitzer, okay at coverage. He's a guy you can probably target if you isolate him. But he is he's not an extreme liability. He's just, that's not his forte. His forte is fitting the run and rushing the passer. Von Bell, similar. Fitting the run, rushing the passer. And what he gives you in pass coverage, you'll take. Because it's, it's just the added bonus on top for those guys. Where Jesse Bates... Uh, shines as well one thing i forgot to mention is are are the bengals a committed nickel team at this at this point or do they bring on a third safety to play that will spot during a dime back uh on third and long they'll bring uh they won't even bring him in the, they'll move von bell to the box sometimes it's 50 50 on when they do this it's not all the time but i like the three safety set they utilize they bring in ricardo allen and i think the reason hasn't been utilized as much as he got hurt and now he's back, so he's. We'll probably see it again. Uh, bring him on and use him as a dime back, or really, they like to start three safeties high and maybe mm-hmm. start rolling one right before the snap or right on the snap. So they like to they like to disguise that way. Uh, I've 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 not observed that. Another thing I'm going to be looking for in the game. So so you don't you don't start off with somebody who looks like a will linebacker, but he has a safety's number <laughs> sitting in the box. You have three guys high and one rotates down. 
Sometimes, sometimes it's it's both. I don't know if I misspoke, but sometimes it'll just be Von Bell just sitting as the linebacker. But sometimes uh, you won't see anybody. They have three safeties high, and they start rotating one late. And whether that's Bell, sometimes it's Bates if they want him on a tight end, or they want him to play robber. And sometimes it's Ricardo Allen, who's kind of the versatile piece of that that makes it work. All right. All right. Very, very interesting breakdown of all of this. Anything you expect in terms of defending Jackson in particular, but Brown and Andrews to a lesser degree um, that that you would expect the Bengals to do that they wouldn't do in another game? Well, yeah, the four three is one thing with that. They want those guys. They want as many linebackers off ball guys on the field as possible to try to flow with that and not get caught up along the line. Along with that, they last year played a lot more too high and quarters stuff against the Ravens than they did anybody else. It was, especially in that game, they ran for 400 yards. It was over 70% quarters. And they were a team that ran that about 20% of the time um, to go with those. I also would expect, I think they're going to bring slot blitzes. And this is something that I'm not positive about, but this is something I'm kind of thinking that it worked a little bit with Darius Phillips last year. And now they have Mike Hilton. So why wouldn't you try to bring some more of those? So I'd look for Mike Hilton coming off the edge. Sometimes they do that, but I I'm thinking they might do that a little bit more than normal just to speed up Lamar or try to get a a quarterback hit or really uh, on those option plays, speed that up as well. Where (laughs) if it's a good give read, you got to give it now. You can't, do any long extended mesh point yeah no that's a great point if you the, the the shorter you can make that for lamar to reduce his opportunity to read leverage the better off you're going to be as a, as a defense you know doing that okay one player you think matches up really well you can pick one on each side of the ball if you want i don't do score predictions here but uh, one player on each side i think that trey hendrickson is going to match up well with villanueva and maybe that's me seeing the uh game last year with that i saw villanueva with carl lawson <laughs> that was a that was a struggle but uh i think he's going to match up well specifically trying to rush the passer whenever we whenever that opportunity presents itself and for the ravens to me it's it's probably mark andrews matching up with whether that's von bell or a linebacker in space i think Lamar, mark andrews is a very talented guy and like you said lamar reads leverage very well well that seam ball to mark andrews or things like that where the guy's on him but he's on the outside so i'm gonna throw it to the inside things like that i think that that combo is gonna be very difficult for the bengals to stop this week all right I, outstanding stuff mike really uh, enjoyed this conversation enjoy hearing all this depth on the bengals uh tell folks again where they can find your work Find me on Twitter at Bengals underscore Sands, and I promote everything there, writing or podcasting. Okay. By the way, if you're a Ravens fan or if you're a fan of any team, take the time to develop two to four people that you follow on all the other divisional teams, at least, but probably all the AFC teams. Um, and, and Mike would be a great one because he obviously knows his stuff very well. And uh, I'm sure your tweets, and although I haven't really been watching them as closely as I'm going to, uh, are at the same kind of level as, as what you've delivered here. And that's, that's, you know, that's exactly the kind of guy I want on my uh, notifications list coming through and, and uh, on my regular feed. Yeah, uh, especially you could just follow and unfollow. There's going to be like a hundred clips of this game that I post. 
<laughs> okay, there you go. All right. Um, uh, want to remind people, go out to filmstudybaltimore.com for the articles. Also, we're doing the 25 Years series right now. If you have an idea for a piece of Ravens history that you'd like to talk about, we're not looking for Mount Rushmore. We're not looking for the top 10 at positions or anything like that. We are looking for these odd little things. You know, you really like Corey Ivey. We'll talk about him. You really like Kelly Gregg and some particular aspect of his game. We'll talk about that. If you have a particular game you love, a particular story, traveling with the team all of those are great topics for the the uh these historical pods and i'd love to hear from you just to hit me up by dm on twitter mike thanks again for joining us and thank you for having me i enjoyed it a lot we'll talk to you next time on film stuff <laughs>